Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Goal to Go podcast. I am your host, Ethan Glacine, quarantining and socially distancing as we spend another day breaking down the NFL. Sheesh! Man, what a week five we got, y'all. I don't think I expected going into it that it was going to be as competitive and as exciting as it was. I mean, on paper, every, you know, the games looked fine. But it's not like one of those, you know, barn burners where there's great matchups every, uh, like across the league. I mean, week one, so and you know, with week one, you you don't really know what you're getting because every team is coming back. But like week one was the one week where, like, if you're in survivor pools, you're like, who the hell am I going to pick this week? Because there's no clear uh, and obvious winner uh, with all the games that we were looking at in week one. This one was not the case. It looked like you could have gone through and picked a majority of the winners. For you know, ninety to ninety-five percent of the games, but these ended up being a good, one, uh, being great games. You know, the one down in Cincinnati that ended up being a great game between you know Joe Burrow and Aaron Rodgers, and then on Sunday Night Football, kind of a changing of the guard in the AFC, which I don't think a lot of people expected. Uh, as good as both of those teams were that played on Sunday Night Football, and then a Monday Night Football comeback for the ages, guys. You know, just Baltimore looking dead in the water. But when you're in prime time and, you know, you got Lamar Jackson at quarterback, who knows what could happen. And strange things occur when you're middle, you know, entering the middle part of the season. The air is changing. It's getting a little bit crisper outside. We're approaching Halloween and the rest of the holiday season. A little bit of Lamar magic gets sprinkled across the field on Monday Night Football. And sure enough, crazy things happen. But before we get to that Monday Night Football game, let's go to the night prior. Let's, Let's start with Sunday Night Football. Primetime NBC slot, Al, Chris, and Michelle, probably the best Sunday night football game on paper that we've had this season so far. Two titans of the AFC, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. But the night ended in what really felt like a changing of the guard in the American Football Conference as the Buffalo Bills took it to Kansas City, beating the Chiefs 38-20. to Now, listen, weather played a factor in this game like that no doubt about it there was a um, there was a delay at halftime uh, a pretty significant delay I think it was about 45 minutes to an hour or so so the elements were playing a factor but you you can't make any excuses about this one the Buffalo Bills were the superior team and it's it's what felt like the fall in a game that felt like the fall of the Chiefs from AFC supremacy it sounds so weird to say but Kansas City was not ready for a boat race They could not keep up with the Bills or what Josh Allen was throwing at them every single drive. Uh, The offense for Kansas, it's just not gelling for Kansas City. Uh, They're more mistake prone than I think any of us can remember in recent memory. But it's not just about the talent around Patrick Mahomes. I think I've mentioned that in a prior episode that it's very, it's highly concentrated to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. They were both minimal factors in this game, so that's still an issue. But outside of that, it's that, you know, Mahomes isn't even Mahomes right now. He was missing targets, uh, not on the same page with his receivers. There was numerous times where he threw to a guy that wasn't even there and then kind of throwing his arms up and he and the wide receiver had to have a conversation. So he's not playing exceptionally well right now. There were drops by the receivers. One of them was by Tyreek Hill that led to a pick six uh, by Micah Hyde. Um, and it's just it, in that in that moment when Micah Hyde 
picked off Patrick Mahomes and took it for a score in the third quarter. It was in that moment that I kind of realized that these this just isn't the same Chiefs team. Like the offense is making numerous mistakes that we aren't used to seeing. And then the defense is just one of the worst in the league. And, you know, for some of these teams that have great offenses, you know, all you really need to have is just a, an average defense, maybe a slightly below average defense, nothing too crazy. But this Chiefs defense is a bottom five unit in the league, without a doubt. I mean, they've been struggling to stop the offenses in the past. Granted, they've been playing some decent offenses in the Raiders, in the Chargers. Uh, the Eagles are fairly decent with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, but none of those offenses outside of the Chargers really bring to the table what the, the Buffalo Bills have with Josh Allen. And when you have a dominant offense like the Bills do, there's just no hope and you really need Patrick Mahomes to just score on every single drive and they just were not able to do that. This is where credit is really due for the Bills as an entire team, but let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Josh Allen left no doubt that he's in the conversation for MVP after this, you know, title title weight bout between the Bills and the Chiefs. But they just came out hot and they just never stopped. You know, the Chiefs got the ball first and they went went down and scored uh, with off of a Harrison Butker field goal. And the Bills responded swiftly with a 75 yard drive themselves, uh, capped by a Josh Allen touchdown run. And then it just kept on coming. Um, you know, he involved the running backs a lot in the passing game. I mean, there was more passes to running backs than wide receivers early on. Um, Allen hit Emmanuel Sanders for a score in the second quarter. That was just on a line for 35 yards. And then on the very next drive, he was back at it again, 61 yards to Stefan Diggs that ended in a field goal. Um, and then right before halftime, the Bills took two plays to go 68 yards uh, and capped by a 53-yard touchdown from Josh Allen uh, to Dawson Knox. And then w- right when you thought maybe, if anything, my thoughts were when the weather delay happened at halftime, that the weather delay was just going to benefit the Chiefs, right? Because the uh, the Bills had all this momentum. If anything, it was going to help the Chiefs because the Chiefs were going to be ready. Maybe the Bills get sluggish, uh, but there was no sluggishness whatsoever after the weather delay. The Bills got the the ball first and Allen came out with you know he came out swinging with a 41 yard pass to Dawson Knox and they just did not let up it was it was an absolute beat down of a Patrick Mahomes led team that we're just not used to seeing uh, but yes credit to Josh Allen in the first half alone he had 260 total yards three total touchdowns and 135.4 passer rating um, he was just on fire he never let the Chiefs breathe um, there was just never a moment in the second half where it looked like the Bills were losing control of this game Allen's final numbers he threw for 300 plus yards three plus touchdown passes while also rushing for 50 plus yards and a rushing touchdown and he averaged 20 plus yards per completion, which is a bonker statistic. All those stats together, he's the first play, player in NFL history to accomplish all of those feats uh, consecutively um, in the same game. So he is just playing at a great level right now. The Bills stumbled in the first week when they lost to Pittsburgh, but they have bounced back in a big way. Um, And real quick before we move on to Monday Night Football, the defense is a big reason why. We've been talking about, you know, what I just said, that the when you have a great offense, you just need an average defense. This Bills defense is legit. They are on... uh, 
statistically at least, the number one defense in the entire league. I'm not sure if I would put them there, but they are a top five unit without a doubt. They shut down everything the Chiefs were, the Chiefs were trying to do. They didn't let Mahomes get outside of the pocket. They kept Tyreek Hill under wraps. He had about 60 yards receiving. Same with Travis, Travis Kelsey, who you know was kept the minimal yards. He also scored a touchdown, but he was mostly kept in check. But the Bills defense, what they did extremely well is they forced the Chiefs into mistakes, which is what we're not used to seeing with them. Uh, the Overall, the Chiefs had four turnovers, and three of them were by Mahomes. So great job to the Bills. The defense did amazing. The offense is on fire. Um, and even to the Bills' credit, to add even more, they didn't blitz Mahomes once in that game. They utilized a light box on 92.4% of the snaps. And I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I was saying in the pregame show or the preview episode that if the Bills were going to stay in this game, they needed to generate pressure with a four-man rush. That's exactly what they did in this game, and they handled the Chiefs easily. So the Bills look like the team to be in the AFC while the Chiefs are scrambling at the bottom of the AFC West at two and three. All right, now let's get on to that thriller on Monday Night Football. The Indianapolis Colts traveled to the Baltimore Ravens, were leading 25 to three with one minute left to go in the third quarter, and they ended up losing this game 31 to 25 to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Ravens guys, they just did not wake up until the end of the third quarter. They were stagnant for most of the game. And it had me thinking at the time I was doing my write-up, um, on this game. And I was already like halfway through it thinking that this was a done deal and writing up about how the Ravens are lucky to even be in the position that they are now because they could have, they should have lost to the, you know, Detroit Lions when there was a false start pen or a delay of game penalty that wasn't caught. Um, they lost to the Raiders, of course, and then whoever they played in week two, I think that was a close game as well. Um, because going into week four against the Broncos, I mentioned how they could have been an 0 3 team. So, uh, I had my write up ready to say how Baltimore just, you know, they are, they're just an imposter. They're a pretender team and they just completely turned things around. Um, like I said, 22 to three with less than a minute left to play. And at that point, Lamar Jackson hit Marquise Brown for the first touchdown of the game. And then there was four consecutive scores following that. So five scores in a row for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and with two successful two-point conversions as well. Uh, the four scores after the Marquise Brown went as followed. Five plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 78 yards, touchdown. 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. And then finally, 10 plays, 68 yards, touchdown. So they were scoring quickly. It looked like the Colts just didn't know what to do with the Ravens in the fourth quarter. And um, this completely falls on them. The defense, the offense, you know, obviously deserves some part of the blame. They weren't able to throw any points on the board outside of a field goal during this stretch of Baltimore going down and putting up points themselves. But the the fourth quarter in overtime, I mean, that was the Lamar Jackson show. Uh, he had his best passing performance of his career in this game. In the um, in the second half in overtime alone, Lamar completed 29 passes off of 32 attempts, three incompletions uh, for 355 yards and four touchdowns. He had more touchdowns and incompletions in the second half in OT. Just a masterful performance by Lamar Jackson. He finished with an 86% um, completion percentage, which was good for the highest completion percentage in NFL history of any quarterback that has thrown for over 400 yards. Just an exceptional throwing day for Lamar Jackson and 
that was that's been his biggest question even after his MVP performance in year two, which I think was in his year two, which I think was 2018, was his was his passing ability. We know the type of presence that he brings in the running game. He's so dynamic as an athlete. And he can make people miss on the drop of a dime. But what has his passing been like, um, or what what can his passing be moving forward? And he he showcased his passing ability in the second half of this game. Obviously on that deep pass to Marquise Brown to get things started. And he had a couple other beautiful passes in tight windows specifically to Marquise, I'm sorry, um, Mark Andrews. I mean, Mark Andrews had two touchdowns and two point con- uh, two two point conversions um, in this game. Uh, Andrews had thirteen uh, targets and caught eleven of them. And a big reason why was that Lamar Jackson was fitting the ball into tight windows. It was a, a great performance that I don't think any of us have really seen from Lamar Jackson. He now ranks top ten in both pass yards and rush yards in the NFL, which is absurd um, for any player. Uh, let alone um, Lamar Jackson. So I think the Ravens, you know, they they have been lucky to get to this point in a couple of these games. Like I mentioned, the Detroit Lions game. But something has to be said about teams that just find a way to win. You know, it doesn't necessarily look pretty, but when they need to, when the moment is on the line, you know, they step up and they make those plays. And as as much flack as, you know, the Ravens have received this year, both in the general sports media as well as on this program they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done um and i think they are one of those teams that you need to you need to consider that they're going to be able to come back from a 20 point deficit just like they did, they did on monday night football lamar jackson even though he has been a little shaky throughout the year he's still one of the most dynamic football players in the NFL today and you need to be consider him a factor on every single play and make sure you know where he's at so even though the Ravens they haven't had the most convincing I guess is the right word convincing start to the NFL season I think they're in a really good position I mean what are they now four and one they're keeping pace with the Cleveland Browns and the AFC North even though they haven't looked great their defense is a little iffy as well I mean you have to consider them one of the AFC favorites at least in the top five uh, despite how shaky they've looked at moments so very big win um, really big win for the Baltimore Ravens in this one uh, the Colts on the other hand just a crushing loss for them, uh, for the most part, quarters one through three, they could do no wrong in this game. They took momentum early in both halves, uh, starting in the first half, three plays in. There was a 76-yard touchdown pass to Jonathan Taylor that uh, put the Colts up 7-0. to And then coming out of halftime, when the Ravens really needed to stop, Carson Wentz went right down the field and then tossed a 42-yard score to Michael Pittman. So the Colts did everything that they could have in this game, and it still just wasn't enough. They just fell apart in the fourth quarter. Obviously, that deserves some criticism, but it also just shows how good the Ravens played on Monday Night Football. Uh, the Colts' defense, I thought, also looked much better than they had been playing uh, for most of the season. Darius Leonard finished with over or with double-digit tackles uh, and a fumble recovery as well. I think the Colts really, on defense, they really uh, stepped up to the challenge deep in the red zone. In the second quarter, I believe... <clears throat> When uh, Lamar Jackson was at the one-yard line, he was about to score, and the Colts forced a fumble uh, at the one-yard line. Darius Leonard picked it up, was running the other way, and as he was about to get tackled, he pulled an Ed Reed move from, you know, like a decade ago, where as he was going to the ground, he flipped it. Uh, to his teammate, who then took it all the way for a score. Um, it was ruled a forward pass, and it came back. I-, I thought that was a little bit of a ticky-tack call 
because it when Darius Leonard made the flip, it was heading backwards, but his forward momentum as he was running forced it uh, to go like a yard or two. Uh, forward. So technically, I guess it was a forward lateral pass, but I am not a fan of plays that prevents players from, you know, making excellent play. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of rules, I should say. I'm not a fan of rules that prevent players from making awesome plays. Like that's what we want to see in the, in the NFL when we turn on the TV on Sundays is magnificent plays. And when you have a rule that just directly contradicts that, I mean, what's the point? Like that goes back to the catch rule. Remember, like with the the Des Cotic game, like why are we, uh, why were we decentivizing players from making great plays? Like I want to see those types of things. I don't want to see pass interferences. I don't want to see holdings. Like those aren't good plays. But why are we decentivizing those awesome plays that aren't necessarily you know preventing the team, the uh, the opposing team from making a play? They're just excellent plays. I just think those are ticky-tack calls. Uh, but be it as, it as it may, I thought the Colts defense played extremely well. I, I think they still have a chance, even though they're sitting at one and four, to compete in the AFC South because it, it, the AFC South is just a who's who of tomato cans. Like it's, it's just an awful, awful uh, division. Um, like the, the Titans are definitely the best team in the AFC South, but they have been so unconvincing through five weeks their offensive line and their defense is just in shambles so I think the Colts could you know make a run if they uh if they could put something together um I don't know if it'll matter much whoever comes out of the AFC South they seem like they're just going to be a one and done in the playoffs but great win by the Baltimore Ravens advancing to four and one while the Colts drop to one and four all right guys let's run through the rest of these games on the Sunday slates uh, we'll start with the Jets and Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons beat the Jets 27-20 to in the first London game of the season. Uh, the Atlanta def- or offense seems to have found its stride. Uh, it was a Kyle Pitts career game with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage out. Kyle Pitts had nine catches off 10 targets for 119 yards and one touchdown. Matt Ryan has improved tremendously since that first game of the season in which the Falcons offense just looked atrocious. Um, so yeah, they seem to be coming into their own and getting Kyle Pitts involved is going to be a big factor in them remaining competitive throughout the season. They're on a bye this upcoming re- week, but the following week they'll get Calvin Ridley back and look to keep the momentum going with Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, and of course Cordero Patterson, their number one weapon on the offensive side of the ball. Um, who which is the is obviously their RB1. Mike Davis scored in this game, but he was out carried by Patterson 14-13. So Cordero seems like their go-to guy in this offense right now. The Jets offense, they need a complete revamp. I understand the offense is, you know, bad and it's dealing with the rookie quarterback, but there's just no fluidity in this in this team. Like they just can't carry any momentum week to week. They had a good um a good showing last week against Tennessee in their first win of the season, uh, but they weren't able to carry it over into this game. I understand it was a London game, so they had to travel far, but uh, there's just no excuse for failing to show up for a majority of the season, and this game uh, was much of the same. There was just no ability to sustain drives. They are uh, The Jets are last in points per game by almost four points to the next team, and to put that in perspective, uh, teams 31 through 27 are all within about a point and a half of each other, and yet the Jets are four points behind the th- uh, team that is in 31st. Uh, the Jets have run 125 offensive plays in the first half of games, and only one of those plays have resulted in a touchdown, so they are just 
at the very bottom end of the spectrum as far as offensive efficiency is concerned. They really do look like they're headed for a just another lost season in a top five pick. Uh, out of all this negativity, though, one thing that is positive, their first round pick from this past draft, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, the guard, He's had he's been an absolute monster lately. He's PFF's fifth ranked guard over the last two weeks. So some important building blocks just for the future uh, in what does seem like a lost season for the team from New York. Green Bay traveled to Cincinnati and secured the dub against the Bengals 25-22. to This one went to overtime and it was really exciting uh, all the way to the bitter end. There was five missed field goals uh, consecutively. Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson of the Bengals combined for five missed field goals at the very end of the game too. Like Nobody wanted to win this game. Um, Crosby came into this game having made 27 straight field goals and then missed three in a row, all of which could have been game winners, and he just completely whiffed it. He did end up making the last field goal to win the game, though, so a little bit of redemption for Mason Crosby, but both him and Evan McPherson uh, need to have some work and practice and get those uh, get those mistakes resolved. Uh, Jamar Chase had another phenomenal game, six catches off of 10 targets for 159 yards and one touchdown. He joins Randy Moss as the only player with 400-plus receiving yards and 5-plus touchdowns in his first five games. I think it's clear that he is the leader for the Rookie of the Year so far uh, this season. Uh, I think that's obvious given that you know the state of the quarterback position, as far as rookies are concerned, uh, is just abysmal. Uh, Zach Wilson, we just covered him with the Jets. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, and then Trey Lance, and then am I missing one more? Uh, those three quarterbacks, at least, they have not been playing exceptionally well. Mac Jones, that's who else I was missing. He's been okay, but hasn't really been shining. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase is definitely the leader in the clubhouse for the rookie of the year. I'd like to see Chase show me a little bit more on the intermediate routes. He is a phenomenal deep threat, but outside of like the deep crossers or the deep fades, I just haven't seen so much uh, from a route running perspective. Uh, there was a game, was it against the Chargers? A couple of weeks ago where he had that beautiful sideline grab, uh, Joe Burrow delivered a beautiful ball on the sideline and Chase tiptoed his way into a reception. That was really great. But outside of that, I haven't seen his route running prowess put on display and I'd like to see a little more of that moving forward. The Bengals defense, they were solid in this game, holding Rodgers to only 25 points you know, despite how good he has looked, and even though the Packers put up a lot of yards, I mean, Rodgers himself at 344 yards, and Aaron Jones went over 100 yards rushing himself, I mean, the Bengals defense still held them to 25 points, which kept the game close throughout. I, I think this is a good development for Cincinnati. Um, they have something that they haven't had in years, which is parity on both sides of the ball. Not all of the pressure is going to fall on the shoulders of Joe Burrow in this offense. The defense is actually looking very good. They got a couple of key guys back in this game. Jesse Bates, the Pro Bowl safety, as well as Chidobe Owuze, came back at the corner position. Owuze made an instant impact. He had an interception on Rodgers. So I think these are all positive developments for Cincinnati, even though they did lose this game. They're staying tight in a um, they're staying close in a tight AFC North race between the Cincinnati Bay I'm sorry the uh, Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens so everything uh, even though they did lose everything is looking up for the Bengals moving forward um, the most non-surprising statement of the year uh, Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in football he had 16 targets in this game the next best receiver had five and that was Aaron Jones 
Adams leads the NFL with 42 catches, 579 yards, and 10 catches of 20-plus yards. Uh, those are insane statistics. He continues to build on what was a um, amazing season for him and the Packers last year. And only Derrick Henry has more first downs this season than Devontae Adams. Uh, despite a rocky start in that Week 1 game against the Saints, uh, the Packers have just looked so good on offense. Adams is on pace for 142 catches, 1,968 yards, and it's um, he has a chance now to flirt with 2,000 yards receiving, uh, which I don't think has ever been done. I, maybe Calvin Johnson did. I, I can't really remember right now, but Adams is on another spectacular pace. Uh, he and Rodgers are really going to make this Packers offense go far. Uh, Matt LaFleur, right before we move on, Matt LaFleur um, now has the third fewest games to 30 regular season wins uh, in 37 games is all it took to get to 30 regular season wins. So he continues to build on a brilliant start as a head coach in the NFL. NFC North Divisional Battle between the Detroit Lions and Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings win this one 19-17. The Vikings held the lead throughout this game, but the Lions made it interesting late in the fourth quarter when DeAndre Swift took a handoff in for the score to bring the Lions within a point. But then Dan Campbell made it really interesting when he went for two and then got it with 37 seconds left in the game, putting the Vikings in a desperate situation. But Kirk Cousins... Credit to him, he stepped up to the challenge. He went back-to-back plays to Adam Thielen to get them in field goal range, and Greg Joseph landed the field goal to give Minnesota the victory. Minnesota was in control for most of this game, uh, but it was still atypical, the performance that their offense had. I mean, most people had them putting up at least like 25 to 28 points against Detroit's you know bottom five defensive unit, and shoot, I mean, they finished with 19 points. So their offense did okay. They weren't, you know anything majorly impressive throughout but they they made it count when it mattered and that was at the very end and I give Kirk Cousins a lot of credit because in the past this is a situation where he was gonna he would crumble at but when the game was on the line and everything fell on his shoulders he really made it count with those back-to-back passes to Adam Thielen Justin Jefferson was a huge factor in this game as well catching seven passes off of eight targets for 124 yards It hasn't been talked about enough this season, the impact that he has had on this team, uh, mainly because we've been focused on Kirk Cousins and, you know, what a great job he has done uh, thus far, but he hasn't been able to do it without his top two weapons in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and Jefferson is picking up where he left off after that spectacular rookie season he had last year, where he broke the Vikings rookie record set by Randy Moss for the most receiving yards in a single season. He is one of the best receivers in the game and could possibly make a run at an all-pro bid this year. For the Lions, like I said, they were not in this game throughout. DeAndre Swift had a really good outing, over 100 all-purpose yards, 17 touches and a touchdown. I was glad to see Dan Campbell get him more involved in this game. Um, It was great to see that they made a last-minute effort, but yeah, they were mostly playing from behind throughout this game. And when they came back, it was a great sight to see, but they just could not hold on. Their defense is not capable of hanging with this type of offense. Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, he was emotional in his postgame presser. Um, he was crying at the podium and mentioning how like, when, you're, when you coach a bunch of guys and you see them fall so close, it just gets you emotional and it makes you feel for them. I, I don't know why, but I really like Dan Campbell. 
I've liked his mentality ever since his opening press conference when he first got hired and he said that uh, he was going to build a tough uh, and tenacious uh, team that was going to, you know, if they get knocked down, they're going to bite your kneecap off when you were coming up, which, you know, made a lot of headlines and um, made for some fun narratives throughout the offseason. But he seems like a genuine guy and a guy that his players would want to play for. So even though the Lions are sitting at 0-5, I mean, they're a competitive 0-5. They really should have beat the Ravens, as I mentioned during the Ravens segment, and they've played every other team competitively outside of the Packers in Week 2. So even though they are 0-5, I think their win is coming. They are not as bad as like the Browns were in, what was it, 2016 when they went 0-16, or the Detroit Lions when they ended up being the first team to go 0-16 in like 2011, they are not that bad. I think their win is coming, and moving forward in the long term, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Dan Campbell, but I kind of like him as a coach moving forward. We still need to see a lot out of him, but as, as far as a likable character, I mean, he's up there with any other coach in the league, and I don't know. If I was a Lions fan, I couldn't hope but to feel optimistic at least a little bit with this guy at the helm. Denver at Pittsburgh. The Steelers secured the win 27-19 against the Broncos. The Steelers looked much more balanced on Sunday. Uh, They weren't forcing Big Ben to throw 50 times. Uh, He only threw 25 times, completed 15 passes for 253 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, they ended with 35 rushes to 26 dropbacks. Way more balanced than they have been in the past. I mean, Big Ben has not looked great throwing the ball, and yet they have had him throw like 45 to 50 times multiple games throughout this season. They looked like a much better offense when they only had him throw 25 times. Juju went out with this uh, in this game with a shoulder injury. Uh, he ended up having surgery and he's missing the rest of the season with a dislocated shoulder. Big loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thankfully, they still have Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and they will have James Washington step up as well. So they will still have weapons for Ben Roethlisberger. It's just a matter of him getting the ball to them. Najee Harris really went off in this game. 23 carries for 122 yards and a touchdown. He finally looked like the lead back that the Steelers have wanted. And a big reason why is that the offensive line got a big push against the Denver uh, defensive line. And he like he has been leading the league this season in contact uh, behind the line of scrimmage. And the offensive line just manhandled uh, the Denver defensive line. He was able to get a lot of space and he made it count. Uh, The Broncos on the opposite side, there was no offense through three quarters in this game. The Broncos were down like 20, uh, what was it, 24 to like three in the in like the third quarter. They came back with a few scores and they were within scoring distance. I mean, with less than 30 seconds remaining, Teddy hit Cortland Sutton for a 39 yard gain Uh, that got them within the red zone. And they were, yeah, they were down by a touchdown at this point. And then... Teddy Bridgewater hit Kendall Hinton. If you guys remember Kendall Hinton, he was the emergency quarterback last season when all the quarterbacks for the Broncos were out uh, because they all were close contacts in COVID. He caught a toe tap 
um, catch on the sidelines that moved the chains inside the 10 for the Denver Broncos. And then from the seven yard line with first and goal, like the Broncos just went four and out from that point. On fourth down, Teddy threw to Sutton, uh, Cortland Sutton, who was just covered the entire time and it was just a bad pass to throw and that's how the game ended the opportunity was there late in the game for the Broncos and they just capitalized but it's very concerning that the offense was just non-existent for the first three quarters Uh, the Broncos really need to figure out how to remain competitive on the offensive side of the ball when they're facing some good offenses you know we've talked a lot about how the first three games of the season was a bunch of milk toast offenses or a defenses rather against the Jets, the Giants and the Jaguars and that they're going to be facing some good competition. Well, last two weeks they've had the Ravens and the Steelers and they have not shown up. So the Broncos hope to keep pace and make a bid for a wild card spot. Well, they need to figure out their offense and play a whole lot better. Let's go to a battle in Florida between the Miami Dolphins and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This wasn't even a game. The Tom Brady-led Buccaneers thrashed the Dolphins 45-17. to Tom Brady just continues to perform at a all-pro level as if he's like still in his 20s or early 30s. He threw for 411 yards and five touchdowns. He is just on a tremendous pace right now. And with the Tampa Bay d- defense looking like they have taken a significant step back. He's keeping the Buccaneers in contention for a number one overall seed off on his shoulders alone. I mean, he just looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the game, if not the best quarterback in the game. And, you know, credit to the Buccaneers front office. They've given him a bunch of weapons uh, to play with, so he doesn't have to do it um, alone by throwing to a bunch of, you know, second, third string players like he was doing all those years in New England. So Tom Brady is just looking on fire right now. Sunday marked the sixth time. Sixth time in 25 games with Tom Brady that the Bucks have scored 44 points or more. The Buccaneers had scored 44 points just six times total in their 44 seasons before he arrived last year. I'm going to repeat that so that it's you guys can kind of pick up what I'm throwing down here and comprehend how insane this man has been the last two years. Sunday marked the sixth time in just 25 games with Tom Brady that the Buccaneers have scored 44 points or more. And the Buccaneers had scored 44 points just six times total in their 44 seasons, 44 years before his arrival last year. He is, he's just something else, guys. He is unequivocally the best quarterback to have ever graced a football field. And he is doing it just in an amazing way in what is his age 43 or 44 season. He's just looking incredible. Antonio Brown and Mike Evans, they went off in this game. Both had 100-plus yards receiving and two touchdowns. Antonio Brown, he had seven receptions uh, for 124 and those two touchdowns as well. He became the fastest receiver to reach 900 receptions in NFL history. Uh, that was the, the 143, 143 games, I'm sorry, uh, is how long it took him to reach 900 receptions. The previous record was held by Hall of Famer Marvin Harrison with 149 games. There's been a lot of scrutiny, obviously, throughout the last couple years about Antonio Brown, and he certainly deserves it for his behavior, but... I don't, I don't think I'm going out too much on a limb to say that Antonio Brown is, has played at a Hall of Fame level himself. Despite all of the off-the-field issues, he is just a tremendous talent. And, you know, he took two years off, was signed by the Buccaneers because he has a close relationship with Tom Brady. And 
You know, maybe he's not the same guy he was when he was in Pittsburgh, but he's pretty damn close, man. He has been the Buccaneers' number one receiver so far this season, and he looks poised to continue to produce throughout the rest of this year. Uh, Tampa Bay, they put up over 500 total yards of offense, 558 to be specific, and they ran 20 more offensive plays than Miami, so they just completely controlled this game throughout the one lone note on the Dolphins that I will mention is Miles Gaskin they got him going in an unconventional way it was mainly in the passing game he had 10 targets and 10 receptions off of those targets for 74 yards and two touchdowns so even in an absolute ass whooping there is some positives here they got Miles Gaskin going after last week they only gave him two carries for three yards so they need to use that and build on that they get two of back next week uh, I believe for week six so hopefully they can build on this with their starting quarterback and try to get back to being competitive because they just have looked terrible through the last three weeks. The New Orleans Saints whooped up on the Washington football team 33-22. to Jameis Winston finished this game with 279 yards and four touchdowns. He didn't start off the game well. He threw an ugly interception right to the linebacker that ended up in points. Uh, but then he made up for it later on. Later on in the first quarter, he hit Deontay Harris, Harris for a deep touchdown. And then right before half, he launched up a Hail Mary into the end zone. It was the last play of halftime. And apparently none of the Washington defenders wanted to jump and make a play on the ball. So Marquez Callaway just jumped up and he answered Jameis Winston's prayers. Came down with a 49-yard score that put the Saints up by a touchdown. Jameis hasn't been overly convincing in any of the games the Saints have played this year. I mean, he just had a 50% completion percentage in this game, but he started off like the first three weeks under 150 yards passing. He's starting to improve on that, taking deep shots. He had 279 yards passing in this game. So I'm assuming it's just a work in progress for Sean Payton. Like, I want Jameis to continue to be Jameis and go for the big chunk plays that we were used to seeing in Tampa Bay. I just want to see him take care of the ball a little bit more and just be smarter with his decisions. So, I mean, the, the Saints are winning. They're 30. They beat the Washington football team 33-22. to They got Kamara going as well, who had two scores in this game and over 100 scrimmage yards as well. So they're winning. That's the important thing. Um, it just remains to be seen whether Jameis can remain consistent with his quarterback play. Uh, the Washington football team, this was one of the games that you would not want to see if you're a Taylor Heineke fan. He was 20 of 41 for 248 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. You're going to have some of these games with Heineke, unfortunately. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that he's unconventional, but he's also exciting on some plays. This was just one of the unexciting and underwhelming games of his career. He had numerous underthrown balls uh, that were picked. Uh, I mentioned how a couple games ago, he threw one of those YOLO balls that we're used to seeing uh, from Jameis Winston as he was getting sacked, and Terry McLaurin made a great play on it, but it was really a bad ball to throw. Uh, some of those came back to bite him in this game with those two interceptions. So I expect that to change. I mean, he's going to have those good games because, you know, he just seems to make things happen. And he really is just a, a, a it factor kind of player. He makes it happen when he when his team needs it most. So I suspect that we'll see some of those plays coming up. They got the Kansas City Chiefs next week. And the Chiefs, that what we have learned so far, have a 
porous defense, so I'd expect Heineke to play much better in that game. Keep in mind, too, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is due to come off IR either next week or the week after that, so Taylor Heineke's job may be in danger moving forward, but until then, we will try to keep an eye on him and see if his kind of unorthodox tendencies continue to pay off for the Washington football team. Philadelphia traveled to Carolina and was able to escape with the W. The Eagles win this one 21-18 over the Panthers. The Eagles came from behind and had a fourth quarter comeback in this game, the first of Jalen Hurts' career. Uh, I got to credit the Panthers' defense. I mean, they kept their team in this game for for the entire the entire thing they kept the eagles to 6 points in the first half and then only allowed two touchdowns in the second half alone that is good enough in the nfl especially against philadelphia's defense which has not been great this season you just need an offense that can you know take advantage and unfortunately for carolina this offense was not prepared to do that sam darnold made tremendous mistakes in this game he had three interceptions didn't even top 200 yards passing um and he really was the reason that the Panthers did not win this game he he failed to show up on numerous drives he was double hitching on decisions couldn't get the ball out quick enough and it ended up coming back to bite uh, the Panthers they could not sustain drives and put up points and you know what that's that's what gave Jalen Hurts an opening to come back and win this game so in the second game now without Christian McCaffrey, the Panthers show how vulnerable they are on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, for what it's worth, did exceptional in Christian McCaffrey's stead. He had 29 touches for 134 all-purpose yards. So very much Christian McCaffrey-like numbers with the 29 total touches. Um now, no word yet on whether Christian McCaffrey is going to be able to come back for week six, uh, but if he is not able to, it seems like Chuba is going to be able to step up and carry the load. Uh, it's more just for Sam Darnold's confidence that Christian McCaffrey is back because he's really what is holding this offense back right now. Uh, Jalen Hurts, he seems like he's the king of coming back and just putting up points in the second half. Because his offense just doesn't know what to do in the first half. The defense kind of has him figured out. Um, or it's just that the defense is wear out, uh, wear down in the second half, and he's able to exploit that. I mean, his offensive numbers are really good uh, throughout the game. Like he had, uh, let's see, 198 yards passing, and then on the ground as well. I mean, only 30 yards rushing, but two touchdowns to add as well. So his dual threat ability is really what gives the Eagles a chance. Uh, to come and win some of these games. So they're going to have to rely on him to do that because Miles Sanders, once again, was a non-factor, 45 yards rushing. Seems like Nick Sirianni doesn't really know what to do with this offense. So in the meantime, the weight kind of falls on Jalen Hurts' shoulders. So Eagles secure this win 21-18. to AFC South battle that the Tennessee Titans ended up pulling out over the Jacksonville Jaguars, winning this game 37-19. Derrick Henry blew up in this game once again, 29 touches for 130 yards and three touchdowns. He continues to look like the engine that makes this offense go. Regression is not a thing with Derrick Henry. He is just on the same outrageous pace that he was last year uh, AJ Brown this was his first game back after missing last week three catches for 38 yards I think if the Tennessee offense is going to take a leap they really need to get AJ Brown involved granted you know both he and Julio Jones missed last week uh, Jones was still out this week but AJ Brown made his return 
I think when they get Brown up to speed, this offense is going to have a little more um, versatility because right now they're really just all about Derrick Henry, which explains their, what are they, 3-2 and record. They really need to become more proficient in the passing game. Ryan Tannehill as well, if they're going to succeed. The Jaguars offense, despite the score, they look decent in this game. Trevor Lawrence had another pretty good game. Um, And then James Robinson as well, just... They need to, if they haven't already, they need to make him the focal point of this offense to take some of the load off of Trevor Lawrence. 18 carries for 149 yards and a touchdown. Uh, And one side note, the Jaguars kickers have not made a single field goal through five weeks. They are 0-4 collectively. So take that as you will. This offensive line for the Titans is still terrible. Ryan Tannehill is on pace to be sacked 68 times this year. The New England Patriots travel to Houston to face the Texans and barely eke out the win in this game, 25-22. to Houston held the lead in this game for essentially 90% of it. I mean, they scored at the very on their first drive, 18-play, 10-minute drive by Davis Mills. Really a big surprise to see. Uh, and they held on to it until late in the fourth quarter when Mac Jones hit Hunter Henry for a score to tie the game. And then on the subsequent drive, had a field goal drive, um, a drive by Mac Jones that ended with a field goal to win the game for New England. But some positive things for Houston to see Davis Mills come out and play as well as he did, especially against this New England defense that had done so well against Tom Brady the week prior. Davis Mills finished 21 of 29 for 312 yards and three scores. He really was dealing early on in this game throughout the third quarter as well. He hit Chris Moore, who was more nothing more than a situational player for Baltimore since like 2016. Uh, he hit Chris Moore for five receptions and 109 yards and a touchdown. So just a ragtag group of players on the Houston side of the ball really making it happen uh, for the Texans. And then um, Mills also hit Chris Conley in the third for 37 yards off of a flea flicker. The Patriots just didn't look like they expected anything like this from the Houston Texans. They got it together in the fourth quarter, of course, and got the W, but they genuinely looked surprised throughout the first three quarters that this Davis Mills unit was playing so well. Matthew Judon on the New England side of the ball on the defensive side, he was the only thing slowing down the Houston offense. He had two sacks in the first half looked really good on that side of the ball. Mac Jones coming off that great game against the uh, I'm sorry the Buccaneers last weekend. He started off looking fairly sloppy. There was a play in the third quarter uh, where he expected Nelson Aguilar to curl inside, which he didn't. He was picked on that play, but he made the most of it in the end, and his numbers ended up looking pretty good too. 23 of 30 for 230 231 yards and a touchdown. He did just enough to get the Patriots the win. So the Patriots barely escape with this victory. They'll hope to get back on track in a convincing fashion next week. While the Houston Texans, uh, you know, even though they had a good uh, outing by Davis Mills, I think they're really hoping for Terod Taylor to get back because in week one and early on in week two when he was playing, Texans looked pretty competitive. So we will see. The Chicago Bears travel to Las Vegas to face the Raiders and leave back to the Midwest with the W. The Bears win this game 20-9. to The Raiders, second consecutive loss after they suffered their first loss of the season last week against the Chargers. They did not look anything like we had seen through the first few weeks on offense. Uh, the Derek Carr honeymoon really appeared to be over in this one. They just didn't know what to do. 
Um, he threw a pick on the second drive of the game. Their offense just continued to get shut down the rest of the game as if the Chicago Bears just knew what he was doing the entire time. Carr did leave the game for a brief period. Nathan Peterman came in, though Carr did return, but nothing ended up happening from that. I mean, the Raiders, they put up one touchdown on the board via a J- Josh Jacobs run in the fourth quarter but outside of that there was really nothing going in this one for them they it almost seemed like they were getting distracted based off of the John Gruden news that had surfaced on Friday John Gruden uh, it came to the spotlight through the Wall Street Journal that he had said some racist homophobic and misogynist uh, things over his email starting in 2011 over a seven-year period and don't know if that affected the team's performance on Sunday or not but they just looked lifeless they didn't bring any juice to them and uh, he's going to be facing a lot of heat as if he wasn't already based on his team's performance in this one and we'll continue to monitor that John Gruden situation as the weeks progress on Chicago's side of things Justin Fields, you know, he had a good second game of his career last week. Uh, as far as passing is concerned, he didn't do too great in this one. 12 completions off of 20 passes for 111 yards and a touchdown. And then his rushing numbers were also a little perplexing as well. Only three rushes for four yards. I would figure based on his athletic ability that Matt Nagy would want to get him on the run and involve him a little more in the run game uh, similar to how the 49ers are doing with Trey Lance but they just don't seem to be doing that Um, it didn't really seem to matter in this one the rushing game of the Chicago Bears was really outstanding even though David Montgomery missed this game they really leaned on Damian Williams and Khalil Herbert in this game. Um, collectively, they had 34 carries for about 150 yards, just under 150 yards, and a touchdown. That was enough to secure the dub in this one. The Bears advanced to 3-2. and two. I would like to see more out of Justin Fields moving forward. I think that's ultimately going to decide Matt Nagy's fate on how he implements Justin Fields. So, hope to see more of him moving forward. What a game we had in Los Angeles as Cleveland traveled to California to face the Chargers and the Chargers came out with a victory 47 to 42 in a high scoring affair. The highest scoring game of the 2021 season that we've had thus far. This game was 20 to 13 at halftime and then the second half just erupted into a offensive explosion type of game and more specifically the fourth quarter I mean these teams just traded punches in the fourth quarter um yeah it was 27 to 21 entering the fourth and then Justin Herbert to Mike Williams for a 42 yard touchdown uh then Baker Mayfield to David Njoku for 71 yards to put the Browns up 35 to 28 Austin Eckler then on the next drive rushed up the middle for a four-yard touchdown 35 all chargers Browns came back with a Kareem Hunt eight-yard touchdown to put the Browns put to put Cleveland up forty-two to thirty-five, and then the Chargers secured the victory on back-to-back scores. Justin Herbert to Austin Eckler for a nineteen-yard touchdown, and then Austin Eckler for his third touchdown of the game uh, on a three-yard touchdown secured the victory for the Chargers. This was such an exciting game, guys. This was such an exciting battle between two of the highest scoring offenses in the entire league and also two of the ballsiest coaches in the entire league. There were six fourth down attempts 
in this game. Um, and you know, we are, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns has been known to do this in the past, always going for it on fourth down. And Brandon Staley, you know, thus far through his career, he has shown, or his uh, head coaching career, he's shown that he has the cojones as well to go for on fourth down. And while this is Kevin Stefanski's corner, the going for it on fourth down, Brandon Staley, he seems to have got the better of him. They each had three fourth down attempts, and Brandon Staley and the Chargers, they were three for three on theirs while the Browns were one for three. So, Brandon Staley, not afraid to get after it early on in his career. Justin Herbert, I mean, was fantastic once again. 26 completions, 398 yards for four touchdowns. He and Mike Williams have really developed a great connection, and I think I've talked about in the past that Joe Lombardi is really unlocking Mike Williams' potential that so many coaches for the Chargers have been trying to do, but Mike Williams had, he had by far the most targets in this game, 16 targets, second best was Keenan Allen with 9, so they are really getting Mike Williams involved, he had 165 yards and 2 scores in this one, 2 deep scores too, and the the thing that's impressing me is the manner in which he is getting open. I mean, on both of his touchdowns, there wasn't a player within like 10 to 15 yards of Mike Williams. So they are scheming up ways to get him open easily. And Justin Herbert, when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, that's just, that's too easy for him to find his guy deep and score. So... Chargers are really just firing on all cylinders right now. Their defense, you know, they could have had a better outing. They've been looking good through five weeks so far, but I mean, the Browns have one of the best offenses in the league as well. Baker Mayfield had a good bounce back game too, 305 yards passing for two touchdowns. Uh, And then of course the best rushing duo in the league with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Between those two, they rushed for over 200 yards. So I can't put too much on the Chargers defense for not stepping up in a bigger way because this was all offense all the time and quite honestly I think this drives home the point that even though you do have some good defenses in the league whether it's the you know Chicago's playing really good defense right now uh, the Chargers uh, the Broncos uh, the Bills even though we do have some good defenses I mean, good offense is going to beat good defense. With how it is constructed in the NFL right now, you always got to lean on the offensive side of the ball because the quarterbacks are just too good this year. For what it's worth, before we move on, Odell Beckham, he had, what was it, three targets, two catches, 20 yards. He just is not showing up week after week. You know, his first game back, he seemed to be on in, in having good chemistry with Baker Mayfield, but... In the following two games, it's it just hasn't been working. And I found this little nugget um, on Twitter the other day that Odell has played 26 games as a Brown and he's hit 100 receiving yards in just two of them. Something is not working. And I do respect Kevin Stefanski as an offensive play caller. And I would like to believe that if Odell is as good as Odell advertises, that Stefanski could get him involved. But we are just not seeing that. NFC East showdown between the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys in Jarrah's world. And the Cowboys just continue the streak of winning that they are on, beating the Giants 44-20. Man, the Cowboys are just continue to look good on all fronts. Their offense is hitting on all cylinders right now. The running game was the most notable for me in this one. Zeke continued to look amazing. 21 carries for 110 yards and a score. But then Tony Pollard, again, Continuing to show up, 14 carries for 75 yards. Both he and Zeke 
averaged over five yards a carry. And when he's doing, when the, that duo is doing as well as they are, like they take so much heat off of Dak's shoulders that it's not like he has to go out and win the game for the Cowboys as he's had to do in so many seasons in the past. Like he can rely now, Dak can, on a solid, solid running game as well as a decent defense. Uh, but for, you know, with that being said, Dak still had a good game. 22 completions off of 32 passes for 302 yards and three touchdowns, one of which to CD, one of which to Amari Cooper, and one to Zeke Elliott as well. So this offense is really playing extremely well. And then the defense continues to play at an above average level. And the guy that we're all talking about on the defensive side of the ball, Trayvon Diggs, secured his sixth interception of the season. That's five consecutive weeks with a pick he is definitely the leader in the defensive player of the year race we'll see if he's able to continue it but it's truly a remarkable feat that he has reached so far with six interceptions through five games the the Giants you know to their credit they played okay given the injuries they took man Daniel Jones Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay all got knocked out of this game just a brutal development for a team that is struggling to find their offensive identity. Daniel Jones has played much better this year than I think I gave him credit for and much of the football cognoscenti gave him credit for. So it was it was hard to see him leave with a concussion. Saquon stepped on a Cowboys defender's foot and twisted his ankle. Uh, thankfully, it looks like it's a low-grade, um, low ankle sprain. So he's only set to miss like a week or two. Um so hopefully those two guys can get back on the field shortly because the Giants really don't have a chance without either of those guys on the field. Now with Kenny Galladay being knocked out of the game, that gave way to first round rookie for the Giants. Kadarius Toney had just a tremendous game, his coming out party in the NFL. He had 13 targets, which was, what was that, eight more then second best, yeah, then John Ross. John Ross had five, and Kadarius Toney had the next best target share of 13. He turned that into 10 receptions for 189 yards. He's really given this offense something, and it, it kind of gives you some perspective on what Tony was com- complaining about a couple of weeks ago when he was saying that he wasn't involved in the offense as much, that he wanted to be a bigger factor being a first-round pick. And, you know, with some of these guys, I'm like, well, what are you doing? Just play your role, uh, do what you can to get on the field and make plays when you have your opportunity. But, I mean, when he makes plays like this, you're kind of like, yeah, Giants, let's uh, let's get him the ball because he's making things happen. He sparked momentum early on in the second quarter when Daniel Jones was still in the game. Uh, Daniel Jones threw up a desperation ball that Kadarius Tony came down with, um, and then it just continued throughout the uh, throughout the second half. Uh, in the second quarter, there was a heavy dose of Kadarius Tony on one of the drives where he got three passes that set up a red zone trip for New York. So I'm hoping. That with Kenny Galladay being out, Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, I think, are set to come back in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, with that being said, I really hope they continue to involve Kadarius Tony because he looked like a playmaker with the ball in his hands, and I want to see more of it. All right, the last game on the Sunday slate was between the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals, who are the only undefeated team remaining in the NFL and they kept that undefeated streak going. They beat the 49ers 17-10 to advance to 5-0. and This was Trey Lance's full 
or first full career start in the NFL with Jimmy G going down to an injury last week against Seattle. Trey Lance was the full-time starter. It was a inauspicious start to say the least for Trey Lance. He looked like he was not ready uh, from a passing perspective in this game. He had 15 completions for 192 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. He was airmailing balls, underthrowing receivers, and he wasn't quick enough in his decision making. It, it made sense why Jimmy, I'm sorry, um, why Kyle Shanahan decided to start Jimmy Garoppolo through the first four weeks of the season because Trey Lance just doesn't look from a passing perspective like he's ready to jump into the starting lineup. They did utilize him, Kyle Shanahan at least, did utilize him a lot in the running game. He was the leading rusher for the 49ers, had 16 carries for 89 yards and zero touchdowns. I don't think Shanahan can continue to use Lance at that kind of rate without putting him in a position to get majorly injured. There was a play in the second quarter on fourth and goal where it was a keeper to Lance and he got absolutely walloped at the line of scrimmage and um, players kind of crept around Lance after the hit to make sure he was okay. Thankfully, he was. But those are the types of things that you can't expect out of a starting quarterback without expecting him to um, miss a few games. So his usage in the running game, while it is a tremendous boon for an offense that to have a a versatile guy like Trey Lance that can throw the ball and run the ball, you can't be putting him in harm's way like that. So Shanahan's going to have to find a way to balance the game plan when Lance is the starting quarterback. On the Arizona side of things, the defense you know, has been relatively quiet since week one when Chandler Jones shook the league with five sacks, but they came back and they played extremely well in this game against the rookie. Uh, Buda Baker had a really good interception um, in the second half, and then J.J. Watts, who we haven't mentioned too much on this program, he was a menace. And, you know, it didn't show up in the box score. He had zero sacks, but he forced Lance into hurried throws and then tackled Elijah Mitchell um, in the backfield multiple times for a loss. He's been a big factor for the Arizona Cardinals defense. So he and Chandler Jones are going to be a big factor moving forward. It's going to be important for the Cardinals to remain uh, competitive on the defensive side of the ball so as not to put everything on Kyler Murray's shoulders like it was last year. And lastly, before we move on, uh, Rondell Moore, the rookie out of Purdue, he had one of the best catches of the season in this game in the second quarter. It looked like it was going to be incomplete. Kyler Murray threw it like 40 yards downfield and it was out of bounds, but Rondell Moore shifted his body to the outside facing the out of bounds marker and just came down with the catch and secured both feet in bounds. It was a fantastic grab that definitely made Sports Center top 10. Rondale Moore finished with five catches for 59 yards. I'm hoping that he remains a big part of this offense because he is a fun player to watch. Alright guys, that is it for the Week 5 Recap. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening as always. Uh, we are not going to do a middle of the week episode uh, this week. We'll try and get back to those next week. But uh, we'll just roll into a Week 6 preview um, and get you guys ready for the upcoming weekend. And then go from there with the usual Week 6 recap. So... Um, like I said, we're going to try and get back to those ancillary episodes in the middle of the week, or at least continue. We just put out our first one this last week, teams in deep water. And I want to get back to those 
But just things aren't going to allow for that uh, this week. I'm fairly busy with work and personal matters as well. So we'll try and get back to that next week. But expect a preview episode this upcoming weekend for week six. So until then, guys, thank you so much for showing up. Stay safe. Go get vaccinated. And remember to show compassion and kindness to those around you. You never know what someone may be going through. I'm Ethan Klesine, signing off. Until next time. Mm-hmm.